The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. What I'd like to do is have you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. And let me read to you. This is, this is a, a, an appropriate word for the beginning of a new year when we all want to make new, new Year's resolutions. We need a New Year's revolution, really. As believers, we need to come to live like wise men instead of foolish men. And that's what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just read, beginning in verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes to the Ephesians these words, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is a common expression, metaphor, for life in Christ, that we have come into the light. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. And so Paul says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of life consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness speaks of us doing that which is good for others. That's what good works are. Good works aren't just not lying, stealing, cussing, and so forth. Good works are doing things for people in need. That Just like the parable of the Good Samaritan that you heard this morning read in, in Luke 10, Christ has placed us in a world What he's teaching there is that our neighbor, the one we are supposed to love, are going to be those that God places in our path, and they have a need. And if we focus on their need instead of simply our own desires, we can do works like Jesus Christ. We can do things that are good for them by faith, for the glory of God. And then notice in verse 10, trying to learn are experimenting so that we can learn what is pleasing to the Lord. God has given you all kinds of opportunities in 2016 to actually do the work of Christ by manifesting works in the power of the Spirit of goodness towards people who are in need. And so Paul goes on, when he says trying to learn, he means learning by experimentation. In other words, God's going to put people in your life this year on your path that you can do good to for the glory of Christ, for the glory of God. He's going to put people in your path that you can actually help if you simply pay attention and take note of this fact. And so he goes on, he says, verse 11, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, that is, deeds that are simply for my own good and rather than for the glory of God. In unfruitful, in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, that is the present manifestation of Jesus Christ. For everything that becomes visible is light. Uh, We saw back in John 1, um, when it says this was the true light, that is Jesus is the true light, who enlightens every man coming into the world. What he means by that, not that he makes you smart, but when Jesus came on the scene, all of a sudden, people could see what a truly righteous man was. When they saw Jesus Christ, for example, when the Father says at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, 
Or at the Mount of Transfiguration, he says to the disciples of Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Because he was the perfect example of what righteousness is in life and goodness. He was good to people. Have you ever noticed that? How good he was to people? I had a lady tell me recently that she went through a really, really difficult phase in her life. And I mean, really difficult stuff. I'm not going to tell you the details because then you knew who I was talking about. But she had gone through some deep, deep waters. She went to church the next Sunday and everybody knew what was going on what the trial she was going through, which was incredible. And not one person spoke to her. And she was dumbfounded by it. Isn't this a place, isn't the church the place where people following Christ can show kindness and goodness to us for the glory of God? For the glory of God. Haven't you noticed that when you see, when you observe a believer who's actually paying attention to someone in need and reaches out to them, then it glorifies God? Because it reveals who he is as he works in us and through us. And then he says this in verse 14. In verse 13, he says, all things will become visible when they are exposed by the light, that is, the life of Jesus Christ. For everything that becomes light, it becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's what I want to talk about. What does it mean to walk as the wise rather than the unwise or the fool? So he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Dissipation just means squandering everything that you have. That's what the word prodigal means. It means just that you don't have the ability to use the good gifts of God as they ought to be used, but you just squander your whole life. You squander everything in life. And he says, getting drunk with wine is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for the things, for all things, give thanks for all things in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, what I want you to notice, first of all, that in the Old Testament, there's this really clear distinction between the wise and the foolish. They're contrasted continually in several different places. And the fool, for example, in Psalm 14, it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. They are corrupt, the psalmist says. Their deeds are evil or vile. There is no one who does good. And then he talks about, also in the Old Testament, the wise. For example, in Psalm 111, 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wise man fears the Lord, you see. The fear of the Lord is an expression that you ought to really latch onto because what it's describing is having a deep, down, settled conviction about who God is. It's actually not taking him lightly. It's taking him as you ought to take him, as the God of the universe. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So the difference, if you notice, the great gulf between the wise and the foolish is the fear of the Lord. 
the fear of the Lord. I don't know if you remember the story about Abraham when, he, when God says, I want you to go up on the mountain. Mount Sinai actually is what it was. And he said, I want you to go up there and I want you to offer Isaac on an altar to me. Wait a minute. Isaac is his only son. Isaac is the son of promise. He's the one that God promised. He promised to give him a son in his old age. He's 100 years old when Isaac is born. So there's not a, a lot of prospects for him to have other sons and daughters. And yet God says, I want you to offer your son. Well, he takes his son. He goes, walks up on the mountain, left his, leaves his servants behind and carries wood to put on the altar. And Isaac says to him, uh, where is the offering? And Abraham tells his son, Isaac, God will provide. And what he plans on doing is offering his son in obedience to God's command. Really odd. He gets up there. He puts his son on the altar. And before he can slay him and offer him up to God, God says, stop, Isaac, now, I mean, stop, Abraham. Now I know what? Now I know you fear me. What does that mean? It means I care more about what God says and what God feels and what God wants than I do anything else in life, even my own welfare. That's the fear of the Lord. And so he praises Abraham, and then God supplies another sacrifice, a ram. And Isaac is set free. But God was testing Abraham. He wanted to see that he feared the Lord. See, this is a huge thing. In order to live the Christian life, you have to fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord is having a profound respect for God as being God. You don't take him lightly. You know, today we live in a culture that's constantly challenging Christian, Christian belief because it seems so absurd. Because they, they've heard all the commands. Sometimes that's what we think we're supposed to give to people are the commands of the Old Testament to people. And so they hear all the commands and they think we're all crazy for believing the Bible. And so sometimes the, the commands of God become a huge barrier to people. Um, and it becomes very offensive to some people if they actually understood that all of God's commandments are not burdensome for those who fear him because they're commandments that we know the goodness of God and so what he commands us is good. Good for us and glorifying to him. Well, What's the difference between the wise, the way the wise people walk and the way foolish people walk? That is, live. In, in this book, Ephesians, there was a book written, a commentary on Ephesians written many years ago, back in the 40s, actually, and it was titled Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand. That was the title. And that's because in chapters 1 through 3, you have us pictured as being, as being seated in Christ in the heavenlies. It's our position before God. We have this glorious position before God. We're seated in Christ in the heavenlies. And then in chapters 4 and 5, it tells us how to walk. That's why you have sit, walk, stand. We are told how to walk. Well, the word walk in the New Testament means live. How you live. We are to walk in the Spirit. We are to walk in obedience to Christ. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. So in chapters 4 and 5, you have all this 
this revelation about how we ought to live our lives. And then finally, stand. In chapter 6, it tells us we are to stand against the enemy. We're to stand against Satan and his lies. And so we're to stand in Christ against the onslaught of Satan. So the difference he's telling us in this section of chapter 5, he's telling us in the way we walk that we should walk in the Spirit. We should be filled with the Spirit. We should walk in the light. We should walk as wise men. That is, as men who fear the Lord. Walk as men who fear the Lord. Walk as people who fear the Lord. Who have a deep down settled attitude towards God. That God is God and I am not. To live as a wise person is to live out of a recognition of who God is. That's what it is. It's just living according to the reality of who God has revealed himself to be. A deep reverence for God that he is. The God that he is is who he really is. If you want to know what God is really like, just read the word of God. Read the Bible. It tells you what God is like. It tells you who he is. When this permeates our being and guides our lives, that is the fear of the Lord, our reverence for him, that we exalt him above all things. We finally come to realize, this is really a hard lesson to learn, but you finally come to realize that you're not smarter than God. (laughs) He's God and you're not. And so his commandments and his instructions on how we ought to live. In, In Isaiah 40, remember that question that Isaiah makes? He says, to whom shall we liken God? Or what likeness? Will you compare to him? He's talking against idolatry. See, throughout the history of the world, throughout redemptive history in the Bible, there's always been this problem of idolatry. Creating a God that's more to my liking. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I could serve God if he didn't say this or this or this, if he didn't demand this or this or this. In other words, I could construct a God less these offensive things And I could do with that God. I could make it with that God. Well, that's not God. So Paul basically pictures two ways of life which stand fundamentally opposed to each other. Walking like a fool who doesn't fear God or walking in wisdom like a man who has come to fear the Lord. Life without Christ is foolishness. It's called all kinds of things in the Bible. For example, in Ephesians 2, it's called our former way of life, the way we lived before in our blindness and our lack of fear of the Lord. It's called in Romans 8, 4, life according to the flesh. The flesh is simply my human desires for myself. I put myself at the center of the universe. What's the most important thing? That I get what I want, right? That I get what I want. See, that's the flesh. And so that was our life before we came to Christ, according to the flesh. We walked like ordinary men, 1 Corinthians 3 says. We lived our lives going after, get all the gusto you can. You know the commercial. You only go around once in life, get all the gusto you can. You know what the word gusto means. It means lust. Fulfill every lust you can. Fulfill every desire you can. Whatever you want, go after it. And get it, and that will make you happy. The problem is it doesn't make you happy. All you have to do is follow the lives of people who take that path, and it ends in tragedy. So how should our lives, uh, as those who fear the Lord, how should we live our lives as those who fear the Lord? 
I want to show you three things. I think it's in your little handout there. But the first is, we first of all have to seize every opportunity to be servants of the Lord. You've had all kinds of opportunities this past year to be servants of the Lord, to actually make decisions in obedience to Christ and his commands to you. For example, I'll pick on you guys. Uh, The Bible says in the New Testament, New Covenant Truth, Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how you're supposed to love your wives. But of course, that's also how we're supposed to love each other. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another the way I have loved you. And the way he's loved us is he's given up his life for us. He's laid down his life for us. So we are to seize every opportunity to be servants of the Lord. When he says in in verse 16, notice the the expression there, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Making the most of your time. That that expression is quite literally this, buying up the time. But the word time here is a word that means opportunity. Buying up the opportunities because the days are evil. God's going to give you some opportunities to serve him this year in just the way you treat people. He's going to give you a ton of them. And what you should do is buy up the opportunities. Buy up the opportunities because the days are evil. The foolish, we're told, allow the evil days to set their agenda. When they think about how they're to live, they're thinking of, you know, what's going on in the world, how bad things are going. And and you can listen to all the prognosticators who tell you that the world's about to implode, explode, fall apart. And so we can live in fear all the time, uh, allowing the evil days to set our agenda in life. And so when you heard that read this morning in Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, when this young lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, what does the law say? When he says, what does the law say? He's talking about the Old Testament, the books of Moses. What did Moses say in essence? And he said, well... Because all of them knew that the way that you summarize all of the commandments of God is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so the lawyer quotes that. And Jesus said, you've spoken well. Go and do that. And you'll experience life. But then the lawyer, smart as he was, says, and you can tell what he's doing. He says, but who is my neighbor? In other words, that's going to stump him. Who is my neighbor? The guy that lives next door? Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus gives him this story. He tells him a story about a man who was going from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. About a 15-mile walk. And he's walking along there, and he, gets, he falls among thieves. They beat him up, knock him down, take everything he has, and leave him there dying in his own blood. And then a couple of men come by, and both these men are religious men. One of them is a priest, and one of them is a priest's attendant. When they walk by and see this man laying there in his blood, they just pass by him on the other side. They avoid him. And so they're going to walk by. But then a third man comes by, and this man is a Samaritan. Now, you have to understand, a Samaritan would be like us saying, a Muslim came walking by, and he showed mercy on him. He walked over, 
And he checked him out, found out what was wrong with him, bound him up, put him on his animal and took him to an inn and paid to have him cared for. And he says, do whatever you need to do to take care of him and I'll be back tomorrow and pay for everything. But this is a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a half-breed. It was somebody that wasn't a full Jew. It was somebody who had, their, their lives had been intermixed with the, the Assyrians, who had the, the Gentiles that the Assyrians had brought, had brought into the land. And so they were really looked down on by the Jews. You know, kind of like how Baptists and Presbyterians, and they, they look down on each other. And so Jesus says, this man did this and this and this. And then he says to the lawyer, so who was the neighbor? And he said, well, the man who showed kindness to him. It wasn't the priest or the Levite. It was the Samaritan who showed kindness to him. And he said, go and do likewise. Now, the point of the story is this. Guess what? How life works. God puts people in your path that you can show the love of Christ to. Even before you give them the four spiritual laws, you can actually show them the love of Christ before you tell them about the love of Christ. In fact, that's what the Bible, Peter says, you know, you ought to be ready to give an explanation of the hope that lies within you, but people have to see the hope that lies within you first before they're going to ask you that. In other words, our lifestyle should be such, we ought to live questionable lives, lives that would cause people to ask us questions. Why did you do that? Why in the world did you do that? Why did you stop and take care of this man alongside the road? Why did you waste your money on him? And the answer, of course, is because that's what Jesus did for you. That he came into the world seeking and saving the lost. Bringing them back into a relationship with God bringing forgiveness and eternal life. So now Paul tells these Christians, you should make the most of your time. The word buy up is a very strong word. It's very intensive. It means to buy up in the sense of like, you know, somebody, remember the, uh, who was that? Uh, Now I can't remember their names. Some brothers bought up uh, all of the, was it silver? Is that what it was? And they, they, they bought up the whole market. And what they wanted to do was to buy it all up so that the value of it would go up. It would, none would be available. And uh, that's what this word means, to buy up. And what he's saying is, <clears throat> look, as you live your Christian life, God actually wants you to pay attention. He's putting people, he's putting opportunities right in your path that you can show the love of Christ for the glory of God. You ever think about that? You ever keep track of that? That he actually, actually puts people in your lives, like this crazy truck driver that about destroyed my driveway? And so you have this, you can have a conversation with a person like that. You can show them kindness. I'm not saying I did, but, but, I, but I should have. It was my opportunity. And see, God's going to give you opportunities in 2017. Snap up every opportunity, he says. Snap up every opportunity to demonstrate the love of God in Christ Jesus. Don't wait for opportunity to fall in your laps. Snap it up. Stop window shopping and start taking advantage of these opportunities. They may never return. 
I could have, I bet every Christian in here, if I could talk to you for five minutes, you have five stories about how God has done this in your life. He's put people in your path and you actually reached out and showed them the love of Christ and it was one of the most blessed experiences you ever had. You know, it was Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. We don't have that recorded in the Gospels. We have it recorded as Paul saying this. Paul said, just as the Lord said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Blessed means makes you happy. What makes you happy more than receiving is giving. Haven't you noticed that? Who is it that's laughing at your Christmas family get-togethers? It's the parents and grandparents as they watch their kids and their grandkids open the gifts. And see, it really is more blessed to give than receive. And Jesus, of course, is the expert. He's the one who came into the world and laid down his life for us in order to redeem us from our sins. And so now we're being told, buy up the opportunities. And what's to be snapped up is, the word, uh, the word for time here, kairos, means opportunity. Opportune time. Buy up every opportune time. Guess what? Today, today, God no doubt is going to, with some of you, he's going to put someone right in your path that you can simply show them the love of Christ in the simplest kind of way that will give you an opportunity to share the reality of who Christ is, maybe even in words of explanation. Now, the second thing that he says we ought to be doing, those of us who fear the Lord, is to secure an understanding of the will of the Lord. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't, don't have this attitude that you're not paying attention to life. You're just going through life. Whatever happens, happens. You're a survivor, so you're going to get through no matter what takes place. No, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the, the will of the Lord is. The foolish despise the knowledge of the Lord's will. But the wise, those who fear the Lord, they see opportunity. So then, do not be foolish. Quite literally, you could translate this, stop being foolish. Stop failing to pay attention to the opportunities that God has put in your path. Think of this. We're just a small little church. But there are churches all this world. There's two billion Christians in the world. What if all of us, all two billion of us who claim to be Christians, begin to buy up the opportunities? Now, many people are. You hear all kinds of stories. Go on YouTube and watch some of these testimonies of people in other parts of the world. And God puts people in their path. And they're able to, do, to demonstrate the love of Christ in a very tangible way. And what happens to them, how it affects them. Don't be foolish, but buy up. This is an imperative. Understand what the, the will of the Lord is. In other words, I'm telling you what this text says, and you can read it for yourself and you can see it. Understand what the will of the Lord is. He has saved you in order to manifest his grace through you. He didn't save you because of your works. First, uh, Ephesians 2, in the same book, back in chapter 2, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourself, being saved by grace through faith. And he says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Your salvation isn't because of your works. It's not because you've done something good for God. But then he says, because we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, God has a plan for your life. Part of the very important part of your life of being conformed to the image of Christ is you fulfilling, buying up these opportunities to manifest the love of Christ to people. You do remember what the Great Commission when Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which means you bring them to the place where they actually identify with Christ by faith. They put faith in him, and so they're baptized. And then he says, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Have you ever looked in the Bible to find out what Jesus commanded his disciples? Have you ever paid attention to that? you ever underlined those passages as you're reading the New Testament and you run onto these commands of Christ? How we're, what we're supposed to do? You could start with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, don't swallow your snuff here because there are a lot of people think, Sermon on the Mount is law. No, the Sermon on the Mount is the, is the commands of the king of the kingdom of God telling his people how they're to live. And so, for example, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, the king of the kingdom of God's dear son, I say unto you, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. What? That's the commands of, the, of Jesus that he says we're supposed to teach people how to, when you disciple someone, do you teach them that? Do you teach them, well, you know what Jesus said you're supposed to do is not just love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the Jews, in their area, that meant, that's not found in the Bible, but that was a common sentiment by Jewish teachers, and was this, love your Jewish neighbor, hate your Gentile enemy. Show them no love. And Jesus says, no, my commandment to you is to love your enemies, to good to do good to those who want to persecute you. See, that's part of understanding the, the will of the Lord. Because he's commanded you, the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded you to do things that you don't want to do. And the only way you can do them is if the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that. Paul says we have a responsibility to understand the will of the Lord. We're culpable if we don't, in other words. We're rejecting God's wisdom. Understanding what the will of the Lord is, the Lord Jesus Christ... In him, all wisdom resides. So you watch the life of Jesus. Remember the time he was at a Pharisee's house. He had him over for dinner, and they're reclining at table in the courtyard. And this woman who's passing by on the street sees Jesus there, and she comes in. And she's a woman of the street. She's a sinner. Despised. But she's heard the gospel. She's actually believed this gospel news that she can be forgiven of her sins and given life through Christ Jesus. So she's believed on him, and she sees Jesus there, so she comes in and starts washing his feet as they're reclining at table. Now, washing his feet was something that his host should have had done by the lowliest servant in the household, but he didn't. But she comes in and washes his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. And the guy is offended. If this guy was a man of God, he wouldn't let this woman touch him. He would know who she was. She's an unclean, defiled woman. And Jesus begins to ask him, why do you think she's doing this? And he begins to explain to him, when I came in, 
You didn't offer to wash my feet. You didn't kiss me, which would be a common way of greeting a visitor into your house. Kiss him on the cheek. Didn't get any of that. But this woman, she can't stop thanking me and showing me kindness. Why is that? Because she's been forgiven much. And he had been, been given, forgiven nothing because he didn't believe in Jesus. But this woman couldn't help but pour herself out in gratitude for what Jesus had done. You see, uh, the reason that we do good works. Basically what Jesus told us, I'm going to show you some verses in a minute, but basically what he told us was, do as many good works, good works meaning that which is beneficial to those to whom I am manifesting this kindness. Do as many good works in as many ways as you can to as many people as you can for the glory of God. For the glory of God. That's why we live. We live for the glory of God. So everything that we do, we do for the glory of God. It's not to be saved. It's because we are saved. We're not saved by works. We're saved for good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, he wants this army spreading out through the whole world, demonstrating who Christ really is by the way that we live in relationship to needy people around us. Because we're all needy. God had abandoned this wretched world who had rebelled against him. <clears throat> but, as John three sixteen tells us, God so loved the world, this world in rebellion against him, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so he wants us to actually go out in the world and to live in obedience to Christ, to love our enemies, to show kindness to people in the name of Christ for the glory of God. Now, the third thing we ought to be doing is seek the fullness from the Spirit, not the flesh. He says, be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of uh, what the flesh does. The, the foolish, the fleshly seek fullness through the, through the flesh. They get drunk with wine. I just want to numb my pain. That's the best I can do. But instead, you can be filled with the Spirit. Being made full of, with the Spirit means that there is a sense of fullness that the Spirit, if we rely upon the Spirit, He fills us and we feel complete, lacking in nothing. So I'm free to give myself away. This, this final solution of the flesh to bring relief from the pain of willful ignorance of God's wisdom is described in Galatians 5. This is what it says. This is what the flesh does to ease its pain. This is what we did before we came to have the Holy Spirit, before we came to Christ. This is what it says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity. Sexual immorality is using sex just to please yourself outside of the bonds of marriage which God has given us in which to enjoy that relationship. But he says what the flesh does, it just seeks, it seeks what it desires. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Witchcraft is a word is the Greek word pharmakia. Yeah, it means drugs. It means getting, having a spiritual experience through the use of drugs. That's what this word means. So instead of staying in my right mind, I need to ease my pain, so what do I do? In the flesh, I would seek witchcraft. That's really a good term for it, isn't it? 
He goes on, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have something so much better. It's to be filled with the Spirit. To experience the fullness of the Spirit in our daily life and daily walk makes us so full we're not afraid that we're going to squander everything we have in order to help somebody else. We realize that God will do what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's always going to give you the resources you need in order to do his will in manifesting his grace to other people. Always. That's what he says. Then he tells us in 1 Peter, we're told by Peter that each one of us has been given an ability, a gift to dispense God's grace into people's lives. Now grace are those is manifested in this way in which we dispense God's grace into people's lives based upon their needs. So for example, the story I told you about the lady who came to her church and not one person wanted to say anything to her. They they didn't think they knew what they could possibly say to a woman who was going through the kind of suffering she was going through. Oh no, you've been given a gift, an ability to dispense God's grace. And Peter says you either have a speaking gift or a serving gift. But in either case, when you manifest this gift in dispensing God's grace into their life, God is going to be glorified. And that's why we live. We live for the glory of God. And so what I do should bring, that's my motivation to bring glory to God. Now, we crave the kind of fullness that God offers in Christ Jesus alone. But to get this wisdom, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll begin to experience his fullness. You can't have fullness without Christ. It doesn't matter what you get a hold of. It doesn't matter what you seek out in life. You're never going to be full until you have Christ. And he's the only one who can give you this fullness. He says, getting drunk using the flesh's means is dissipation. The word dissipation here means to squander. Squander everything. It's just squandering all your resources. It won't bring you fullness. Only the Holy Spirit can bring you fullness in Christ Jesus. In fact, it's the opposite word is the word salvation. The word salvation is sozo, and this word is ah, sotia. That means it's the opposite of salvation. It drains you dry. It drains you dry. If you don't believe this, go to a meeting somewhere where recovering addicts of one kind or another are meeting and listen to the testimonies. All the things in this world that this world has to offer you to give you fullness will drain you dry. But the Spirit of God will fill you up. And you'll have an abundance that you can give away. It may not be money or material things, but it'll be your heart. It'll be your love. It'll be your joy. Don't you like getting around people who are overflowing with joy? Isn't it great to get around people who are actually happy and blessed and it spills over into your life? That's what he wants for all of us. Um, Now, these are the two contrasts, being drunk with wine or being filled with the Spirit because being drunk with wine is seeking the fullness that only the Spirit can bring. Now, you want to walk as wise people in 2017? I hope so. I hope you want to walk as wise men and not as fools. Because the fool is going to destroy his life. So Christ is the answer. 
And we are to buy up every opportunity to serve him by doing good works for the glory of God. Good works being things that produces good in the lives of people that God puts in my path. Philippians 2, 1 through 13. I bet somebody could quote that. But I'm not going to start it for anybody. It's, it's about how Jesus, he says, you ought to have this mindset that Jesus had. That though he was in the form of God, he did not think equality with God to be something to grasp and hold on to for his own benefit. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He came into the world to save us. And so now we're to have the same mindset. In other words, instead of protecting my stuff, I'm supposed to be pouring myself out so that I can experience the the fullness of the flow of the life of God through me. I want to show you what Jesus said, just some rapid fire here. First of all, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before others. Let the life that God has put in you be manifested outwardly as you treat, as you relate to people so that they may see your good works. The word good means to do something beneficial for someone. Your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. We have to explain why we're doing what we're doing. Or this, this is Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Best place to start in understanding the commands of Christ is starting the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, if you prefer. He says, you have heard it said that, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father. That is just like your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on evil and the good. He gives sunshine to those who are evil and those who are good. He's good to all people. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Therefore, you are to be perfect, that is mature, like your Father in heaven is perfect. See, this is perfect love. Perfect love is constantly casting out fear because you're not afraid to give yourself away because he keeps pouring his life into you. And then here's Ephesians 2.10. Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you know that you have works, good works, that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in them for his own glory? So that's why he puts people in your life. That's why he puts you through trials and troubles at times. Because he wants to fulfill his will in your life. Or Titus 2.4. Paul says he gave himself, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of, for his own possession who are zealous. You know what zealous means? Red hot, excited for good works. To live for Christ in this fallen world. And Paul to the Ephesian elders says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, and you know what Paul did? Paul was unusual. He wasn't like most of us today who are in the ministry. Paul worked for a living and ministered for free. In fact, he took care of his own team. He had a team with him, and he would work and pay their expenses so that he could do the work of ministry. He loved the ministry. He loved pouring himself out for people so much. He was willing to do that. That he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is where the only place we have this quoted Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. It will make you more happy than receiving will. 
And don't you love to receive gifts? Sure you do. But what's better is to give them. Is to give them. So you want to walk as wise people in 2017? Or uh, 2017? Then Christ is the answer. Buy up every opportunity to serve him. Seek and savor his will. That just means pay attention to what he says in the word of God and savor it. Love it. It's a great opportunity. God wants to use you for something significant in life. Something truly significant. And it's not going to be what you achieve. It's going to be what you do in response to the Spirit's empowerment in doing good. I mean, think of that, that admonition. To do as much good as to as many people in as many ways as you possibly can for the glory of God. For the glory of God. And be filled with the Spirit because you can't do it any other way. In other words, the Holy Spirit has to fill your heart with an awareness of how loved you really are in order for you to give yourself away. And you know, there's some of those things that we possess that are so dear to us that we have this white-knuckle grip on them. And then God puts us in a situation that the very thing, the very way I could bless somebody is give away what I treasure so much. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's, you know, uh, having a certain position or something like that. But God wants to use you for his own glory. We weren't saved by good works. We are saved for good works. And good works are works, beneficial acts of kindness in the manifestation of the life of Jesus. Uh, Maybe none of you have anybody around you that needs you to do good to them. I would have you raise your hand, but we don't want to laugh because we are surrounded by people who may think they have everything they need, but what they need most, they don't have. And you have it to give away. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about him. So I want to challenge you in 2017, ask God to open your eyes and to use you as a conduit through which he's going to pour his grace into people's lives. Okay? Okay. (laughs) Let me pray for you. Father, uh, we are so grateful today for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And in doing this, you've made us so rich and so full, so well equipped. We have a fountain of life in us, Jesus said out of which the very water of life flows. So we pray, Father, we would open our eyes, that our attention would be on those that you have brought into our life that we can bless, that we can love, that we can show the love of Christ to in specific ways. Open us up, Father, we pray. Give us opportunity to share the greatest thing, the biggest need everyone around us has, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you to work in us this year for your glory, that you would be glorified through your people in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.